and welcome to the Dog Logical Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Rhodes. And I'm your host, Cassie Dixon. Join two dog nerds and our guests, giving you tips, tricks, and busting myths aimed at making sense of your dog's behavior. Hi there, and welcome to the Dog Logical Podcast. Today we have Tara from Zen Dog. Tara, do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Tara. I own the business Zen Dog. Thanks for having me, Renee and Cassie. This is this is a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to talk about cooperative care. So I'm a Karen Fire Academy certified training partner, and I'm also a fear-free trainer, but um, I was also a former groomer for five years. I groomed dogs, and that is really what brought me here and where I'm at today. I run a program called the Fearless Grooming Program, and I've combined all my experience and my knowledge into helping guardians with their dog to help them enjoy grooming, but also cooperate so that they can actually perform grooming tasks easily. And that's whether they want to do them themselves or just kind of help their groomer out. I have two dogs. I have a little white Chinese crested who requires a lot of grooming. So we have done a lot of practice to help her. And my Husky, Huskies shed a lot. So I do a lot of grooming for her too. Um, But they have benefited from the training that I've been doing to help them enjoy it because they both had struggles in different ways with grooming. That's fantastic. So do you want to just tell everyone who's listening what cooperative care is and why it's important for our dogs? Yeah, cooperative care is like a just big umbrella term as far as creating a cooperative and participating environment with an animal in terms of their like physical care and well-being. Um, it's it can cover so many things from vet procedures or grooming procedures or husbandry at home. It it can be used in a lot of environments like clinics or grooming salons or at home. And I think that it's really important to just make guardians aware because it's really about elevating the well-being and comfort for not just the the dog, the animal, but also their caretakers. Because in my experience as a groomer for five years, I constantly had conversations with guardians about how stressful it was that their dog had difficulty with grooming or how they were just so frustrated because they can't do anything with their dog. And they also feel kind of like crappy about how they're not doing a good job or they feel inadequate or like they're just not taking care of their dog. And I think that the well-being of the person is also important, but I think that cooperative care is important on another spectrum because for a lot of people I heard, you know, conversations or talking that they didn't understand that they could help their dog cooperate or that there was no way their dog could cooperate because it's just something they hate and that's just how it is. So when we talk about cooperative care, I think we're we're meeting a whole lot of needs and just helping them know that it is something that can be done and your dog really deserves to feel good at grooming and it shouldn't be a struggle. That makes a whole lot of sense. Thank you so much for kind of going over that so that everybody really gets to understand what cooperative care means and how we can start to implement that. So why don't we start a little bit with, ha, perfect segue, I guess. Um, What exactly are start buttons in cooperative care and how do we use them? Start buttons is, is this fun topic that's like circling the internet and all of the like communities, um, especially since the pandemic happened because guardians like normal pet 
guardians want to know more about Stark Buttons because it was talked a lot about by professionals, especially when grooming salons closed, um, because they were all of a sudden aware that like this is important and we need to talk about it. But Stark Buttons is a general term for behaviors that the dog can show, which gives a green light to whoever's taking care of them that they can proceed with the task. It really gives a lot of agency to the dog and they have choices. They can decide whether or not they wanna do this at this time. And because you're, you're using start buttons, you also have to understand that it comes with putting on the brakes. <laughs> like you got the green light, but if you get the red light, you've got to put on the brakes. And it's, it's so much less complicated, I think, than what guardians think about it. It's not, it's not complicated or like intricate. It could be any behavior. It could be any sign. It could be any training technique you want to use. It's just that you have to decide what you want to practice with your dog and what you want them to show you. But sometimes they can also pick the start button behavior. And in my, my program, the fearless grooming program, we teach four we teach four different behaviors so that the dog can use them at any time. And it can be dependent on what the guardian wants to do. Yeah, that's excellent. I think, you know, when we give dogs the ability to be able to have some agency within their own grooming needs, you know, like those start buttons supply, it really brings the power back to them to be able to opt into that. And so that brings me to kind of what, what is your process when you do see a dog displaying that fear, anxiety, stress, or FAS, what do you do with that? Yeah. And the fun thing about start buttons is in, in my program, we call them consent cues, but we also discuss the other side of the coin, which is non-consent cues. So not only do they learn to understand and recognize when the dog wants to do something, but they also have to know when that shifts and we teach them how to recognize non-consent cues. And that is, that's kind of what you see when FAS escalates. So I teach about body language in the program and we talk about certain body languages that could mean certain things, but it's important that the guardians in our, in the program learn their dog's body language. And whenever they see certain things, they, they just know and understand that it's time to take a break. And we actually give lots and lots and lots of breaks. And that's one of the like most important foundational topics that we talk about is breaks are important and it's how we know they want more. So if you are seeing fear, anxiety, and stress escalate, it's the most important thing that they learn and what I teach in the program is to stop right away and not push through that because you can undo your work um, and you can start to break down the start button that you actually took all that time to train. That makes so much sense. I also typically use the term consent cue over uh, start buttons. So it's really great that you kind of added that in as well for those people who may know it as a consent cue instead. Um, with those, so with your process and starting those things, for example, say you were starting to work on, um, you know, nail trims. What four consent cues or start buttons would you typically work with? Like, what is that process? Do you wait for your dog to offer some of those and kind of just build on them? Or are you looking for specific behaviors? How does that kind of work? Yeah. And actually the, the process in the program, like um, in a generalized nutshell, is the first thing we do is we 
help the dog decompress down from all of the stress they felt in the context. So first is just getting them back to baseline, removing all the triggers and helping them just get back to baseline emotionally before they try and move forward with grooming. And the next thing, the like basic next thing that happens in the program, there's so much that happens, but really the next thing would be teaching them those consent cues um, and teaching those start button behaviors before we add tools, before we even use brushes, use nail clippers, use any, any tools, combs, clippers or blow dryers, if guardian already has them and knows how to use them, because that's up to them. Um, but if they want to introduce them, even if it's just for conditioning, that stuff doesn't happen until start button behaviors are taught. And the four things they learn is a lay on side, which can be so universal. And I found it really, really helpful with my old dog. She's my Husky's 12. And because she started to get a little weaker in her hind end, it became uncomfortable for her to stand on three legs. So we taught a lay on side and I immediately just thought this would have been great like five, six, seven, eight years ago. Why didn't we just do this from the beginning? Um, the other ones are the chin rest. Of course, we teach a chin rest, but it's so, it's so complex. They learn many ways to do the chin rest and all of the ways in which it's beneficial. And they learn a paw target so that dogs can offer the paw and that can be used in many contexts. But the other one is a get in. So they learn to get into a tub, get into a crate or get into a container because that can help in many situations too. So the great thing about all the behaviors that they learn, those four behaviors is that they can be customized for whatever the guardian does, whether they take their dog to the groomer and they go in a crate or a carrier or whether they, the dog gets in a crate at the groomer or whether the dog gets in the bathtub at home. Like it's, it's really customizable, but those four behaviors are what most um, is most important in the program. That sounds really comprehensive. Supplying that many abilities for the dog to communicate really is, you know, a fantastic element. And your program sounds really interesting, actually. I'm thinking like, <laughs> can I take this? <laughs> yes. Just because it's... <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that brings us on to, you know, a really nice topic of typical grooming salons. What are your thoughts around um, those types of environments for our dogs and, and grooming? This is a complex topic, but because I worked in, um, I groomed for five years and I've worked in a handful of salons because I moved. I also changed, like, like I moved an hour from one area to another. So of course I was forced to work in a new salon. And then I changed salons because one of them was too far. So I just changed locations and I saw a lot of things. Um, and when, when we talk about typical salons, what I'm, what I'm really referring to is salons that aren't fear-free certified or don't use any behavioral, um, knowledge or that don't do continuing education on dog behavior, typical grooming salons. I just want to make sure that we're, we're like clear on what that means to us, I guess, since we're talking about it would be groomers that are really good at grooming. Hopefully they're continuing their education in the grooming sector, at least just going to webinars and conferences and getting new age and updated techniques on the art of grooming. But what what's really important to know is that they don't always know behavior. So things that I've seen, I would definitely make sure 
that you ask them, you know, situations about how they would behave if a dog isn't um, comfortable or what they think that looks like. Um, just get asking a lot of questions. And I also, I have a whole lesson in my program about this because it's really important to me. I actually worked in a salon that wasn't safe. <laughs> like I, we were worried about fires every day because of the equipment. So it, things like that are important. Um, just asking questions about their knowledge of dog behavior, their safety protocols. Like what if there's a fire? What if all the electricity goes out? Do you have a plan in place for safety? Or what happens if my dog has to go to the vet? We talk about so much stuff in the program and it gets pretty in depth. I also have like a, a script of sorts with questions that they could ask if they want to. They don't have to ask all of them. And I think that it's just good for guardians to know that their groomer most likely their groomer most likely loves dogs. They wouldn't do that if they didn't. I I can tell you from experience that it's a very hard job. Physically, it's a really hard job. I had back issues starting and I had carpal tunnel developing after just five years. So I was really happy to get away from that and get into more of the behavior side because I saw so much behavior that was ignored, that wasn't being taken seriously in the salons. And I think that it's also important for guardians to think about how transparent their groomer is with them, because I can tell you that not all dogs have a good day every time. So if you're always told that your dog did great or your dog loved it, you're, you're welcome to elaborate. You're welcome to ask like, oh, well, you know, have they ever had a bad day or have you ever, you know, felt like they weren't having a good time? Or do you think that they feel good in their body or is anything hurting? So yeah, like I said, in the beginning of this, it's a complex topic, but you just have to be really clear on what you want. That's the biggest thing. If you're a dog guardian and you want a groomer or you have a groomer, be really clear on what you would want and figure out how to describe that and make sure that that's also something that you're getting back when you ask questions to your grooming salon. Yeah, that's totally fair. And I think that realistically, as not only dog guardians, but dog professionals, whether you're a groomer, a trainer, a behavior consultant, a veterinarian, it doesn't really matter. I think everyone really does want what's best for their dog in those situations. But the understanding of what we see as being our dog in a comfortable situation versus them being uncomfortable is different sometimes, right? So with with that being said, um, is it normal in a regular or typical grooming salon to see dogs display shut down behaviors or, you know, fearful behaviors. And what are some of the things that you would typically do or suggest to a look out for, but also to manage and improve the dog's experience in a normal grooming salon? Yeah, this is a great question because Oh, my brain just like is thinking about so many things. But when you ask if it's normal to see shutdown, I immediately think that it's very common because when a dog is shut down, you can get the job done. So it's when you see that, it's obviously continuing because then the groomer just does the job. When you see reactivity or aggress aggressive behaviors, everything stops. Like that's when, oh, no, we can't do this or, oh, it's time for a muzzle, um, or I need a second person, let's get this done quickly and let's call guardian and get them home because they can't physically 
finish if the dog's too reactive, but shut down when they're frozen in place, not able to respond or move or make any like decisions. Um, that's, that's when they just get their job done. And I think that from my experience and not all groomers are like this, but I don't know if they recognize that that's what's really happening. I don't think they recognize that it's shut down or even learned helplessness. I think what they see is, oh, they're, they're relaxing or, oh, they're, they're enjoying this because they're not moving. So honestly, when we, when we think about what we can do to manage it and what we can do to help is to have a conversation with guardian. If that's really what groomers are seeing, because the thing is, that's not going to, it, it, it's unlikely that it'll stay like that forever. Um, it's, <laughs> I've seen dogs get worse over time, escalate their behaviors or start to show some aggressive behaviors because they're just feeling really pressured. Um, and, and so at that point, that's when things do get difficult. And that's when, that's when groomers have to have conversations about going to the vet, getting some medication possibly, or your dog needs to wear a muzzle you know, this is what we have to do in order to get grooming done. So in my opinion, if we want to manage and make that better, it's about having a conversation before it gets too bad and before, um, or when it's just mild, have the conversation right now. And the thing that's going to help is at home practice. Grooming is too infrequent. Um, it, it can be a lot of times grooming, the average grooming appointment span is like six to eight weeks that's not frequent enough to build a positive association. So the thing that's going to make it better is practice at home, practice at home with the guidance of counter conditioning and desensitization, you know, the consent and the non-consent cues, all those things. Yeah. I mean, that's great that you've mentioned, you know, so much about shutdown because I know I personally have worked with dogs where, um, maybe they have fear and distress in other situations where maybe they are able to express that, but then those same dogs go into the grooming salon and the you know guardians are saying they don't express that there, you know, so we have to look at, and sometimes I've said to, to people, you know, ask your groomer if, if they can take a video, or if you can go in and take a video of your dog in the grooming salon so that I can see, because, you know, for me, I'm able to pick up on what those kind of shutdown behaviors are going to be like, especially if there is a very strong experience for the dog outside of the grooming salon. So we have a good understanding of who that dog is in stressful situations, but then inside the grooming salon, they're a totally different dog. Um, so that's always a little bit of a red flag to me, especially when the groomers, as you say, they're fine, they're fine, they're fine. Are they mm-hmm. fine? So having that information and being able to have a, a conversation with your groomer and just say, if you're not allowed to stay and watch, you know, can I come in just for a little bit to see what's going on? And, you know, if you are working with the dog professional, we love when you are able to record things in the sense of it's already happening and you're not, you know, <laughs> prompting it to happen, but when you record it and you can show that to us so that we can see that behavior in action. And, you know, that brings me to my next question, which is, you know, when we're seeing those signs of um, fear, anxiety, and stress, which behaviors do you think that maybe we interpret incorrectly? Yeah. Like, I would say it's those mild things. It's the mild things because no one really stops and pays attention um, or becomes alert until it's really big and loud or unsafe. Like 
snapping, biting, growling, kicking, rolling. That's when it's a problem for groomers. That's when they get frustrated. That's when they can't finish their job. And they're on a time crunch. When I was a groomer, sometimes I had way more dogs than I should have. And it's a, it's a really stressful environment. But behaviors that would be common to see, because this is the beginning of the process. It's more common to see the beginning of the process because some dogs stop at a certain point and shut down and some escalate and continue to show freezing, um, closing their mouth, looking like they're not breathing, ears tight, and tail tucked between their legs are all really common. That's like the first thing you start to see. And as like a groomer who doesn't know behavior super deeply, that could be like, oh, they're relaxing. They're just they're being good. Oh, they were so good today because they stood perfectly still like a statue and that it could be misinterpreted as calmness. Like, like I said, when it's really fright and I've seen some pretty bad displays of fear and oh my gosh, this one story. One time we had a, an adolescent dog come in for the first time who was recently adopted and he was showing some alarming signals to me, but the person who was about to scoop him up and put him in the bathtub, he rolled over and I was like, no, 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 like, stop, stop, stop. You have to stop. And, and she was getting mad that he was rolling over. And as soon as, um, I had her stop, he urinated on his back. And that's when I said, why don't you just walk him back? And she said something like, oh, this is, oh, he's just being, he's just being dramatic. And he, he, he jumped up from where he was and lunged and snapped at her. So it's like, we, I really want to make sure that guardians know those things. And like you said, one, one thing that really helps is making sure that you can just chat with your groomer and ask, ask them to describe things. And oh my God, the best groomer would have cameras. (laughs) Like in my opinion, any facility that houses dogs away from their guardians would be, it's a, it's going to most likely be a really good situation if they have cameras because that covers them in so many ways. And you automatically know, okay, I can see what happened. Like, I don't need you to even tell me because I hope you're telling me exactly how it happened. I could just see it. But those basic behaviors would be the freezing, still closed mouth, not breathing, tail tight and ears back. Those are all really good points and definitely good things to look out for, not even just at the groomers, but in other situations as well, right? Those um, behaviors indicative of your dog not doing well emotionally. So that kind of brings us forward as well. Again, you mentioned a couple of red flags that you would see inside the salon, but the client or the customer isn't necessarily going to see those. So what are some of the red flags that you would see when you're searching or trying to find a groomer? And with those red flags, what's a good way for you to find good groomers as a dog guardian? What, what are we looking out for good and bad? Yeah, this is an awesome question. I have a lesson in the program about vetting your groomer or trying to find a better groomer or finding a groomer for the first time. We talk all about finding a groomer, things to look for, what to ask, um, research to do on your own time before you even look at these places. But, well, gosh, there's so many red flags. But one thing, it's really easy to feel that a place is good because it looks good from the outside. The lobby's nice. The front is really updated and clean and smells good. But in, in my opinion, a red flag would be that if they don't give you a tour, if they don't give you a tour to see 
where the tables are because, and I'm not saying you need to walk back there in during service hours, but maybe you drop your dog off first thing in the morning and you take a quick walkthrough before like they begin or after you pick up, um, it could be, it could be a quick tour, but the grooming area should be clean. Everything should be safe. There shouldn't be hoses and cords everywhere. The, it shouldn't smell like mildew. It shouldn't smell like bleach. If it smells strongly like bleach, that would make me concerned. Cleaners is one thing. There's certainly like specific cleaners that are used for kennels and boarding facilities. And you can also ask what cleaning brands do you use? Ask about the brand because you could do a little research. But I think having visual transparency is important. And if anybody puts up a wall or gets defensive about giving you a tour, because you should be able to see where your dog is in a kennel. You should be able to look and see that stuff. I think that's really important. And like, if you were going to a daycare for the first time, you wouldn't just see the lobby. <laughs> like you're, you would want to know where your kid takes naps and where your kid has lunch and where your kid is playing. Um, so just getting a visual, in my opinion, and my experience as a groomer, if it's clean and it looks nice, that's a great first step. That means that they care about the quality and it's likely that the groomers and the staff are doing an okay job. There's further things we can talk about. Um, there's further things we go over in the program. And like you, like you said, I think Renee mentioned videos. I often would film dogs for clients because we would have that conversation at one appointment. I would let them know that things, things may be taking a turn for, um, some fear, anxiety, stress. And I, I would tell them, I don't want your dog to feel the need to bite me. So the next time I saw the dog, I would make a video so that I could show them because they didn't always know in their head what I was explaining because they're not even fluent in body language yet. So if you go to a groomer and you just said, could you take a video? I'm worried that we're having some negative feelings and it would just help me to see. And this brings me to, um, I just had a client tell me that that was something that she, she knew she needed another groomer because she asked her groomer for a video. The groomer said yes, and the groomer filmed her dog. But then the groomer was like, yeah, see, he's wagging his tail. I don't think he's having a bad time. And because the guardian is aware of her dog's body language and she knows, she's like, yeah, but that's a, that's a, that's a worried tail wag. Like he's not comfortable. So that was just a fun conversation, but red flags, visual transparency. Will they show you everything if you ask? Yeah, absolutely. What you just mentioned, I worked with a client and it was the same client that I was expressing about, you know, the dog was very different in the grooming salon versus being outdoors and dealing with things that make uncomfortable. And the groomer refused. So the groomer refused to do any video. They said the dog is fine. They don't have time. You know, they were making lots of excuses and in that situation, that made me feel very uncomfortable. And I expressed that to my client. And, you know, if you, when you work with clients, you hope that they trust you. But the fact that my clients at that point trusted me, we had already established a really great relationship and I had been able to help them with their dog. And on so many different levels, they switched groomers because we were already having indications that the dog wasn't having a good time. And we already knew that that behavior switch was happening. And then the kind of nail in the coffin in that scenario was them refusing to, or not necessarily refusing, but just skirting around the issue of recording. Mm -hmm. 
And something that you mentioned, which I absolutely love, um, is the videos. So the camera aspect, if you can, you know, sit in a lobby or sit in a, in a, another part and be able to watch your dog being groomed to be able to watch their body language, that I think is one of the biggest reinforcers for me as to whether I would go with a groomer or not. Like, and I took him for his, which was very, very poor on my part, but I took him for his grooming not long into having him. I think it was the first month. So I didn't, I waited a few weeks, but I maybe didn't wait as long as I should have waited. And I took him to the groomer and she was brilliant. She was fantastic. He was very distressed by the, the shower head. I think he was a little bit even stressed about being in a different environment and never being bathed before, but she was fantastic. And, you know, she had a camera and I could sit outside to see if my presence had a, a positive effect or a negative effect on him. And I could watch through the camera. And that gave me so much peace of mind because I'm absolutely obsessed with my dogs. And so I wanted to be able to see, you know, I am that, I'm that dog guardian. That's like, you know, I want to watch what you're doing with my dog. It gave me a lot of reassurance. And um, I think also, you know, as far as accountability, if that is being recorded, you can say to your groomer, you know, I'm concerned they can bring it back to you. So I absolutely love that. So good to have that as an option with your groomer. Um, so what I would say, and you did talk about this before you kind of touched on it, but you know, how are some ways that we can help our dogs feel better with being at the groomers? Yeah. Um, yeah, I did touch on, I mean, this, we've talked so much about the things that are important to me and why I made my program and there's a lot to the program. It's, it's comprehensive. Just like you said, we don't cover just the behaviors we cover, um, knowledge topics, discussions that is important to the guardian. And yes, it does help your dog enjoy or feel more positively, have a more enjoyable experience, cooperate, participate, give start buttons. If you practice at home, but what could really like what that really comes down to, in my opinion, is that the guardian should be more involved in the grooming or be a, more aware, more knowledgeable. This isn't something that you just you just take to someone else. It would help your dog so much to just feel more trusting and actually bond with you over grooming if you did it from home. And that's not to say you have to give your dog a haircut, but a bath at home, a brush out at home, cleaning ears at home, inspecting teeth at home, that would help all dogs everywhere if more guardians felt capable of it, if they understood that it wasn't scary, if they understood that it wasn't hard, um, and they just took it upon themselves to be more involved. I think that's that's what this really comes down to. And I've, I've talked about this on my Instagram, and I've shared that like you are dog guardian, you dog guardian are so capable of doing more than what you think you can. And I've even been in some environments where the groomers didn't quite want to give, share that responsibility. I know that sounds weird, but, uh, oh, guardian, they don't know how to brush. They're not doing this right. I wish they wouldn't even bother. They're making it worse. Stop bathing your dog at home. You're making it worse. I can't brush them out. And I'm like, well, Hey, like good on them. If they're doing something wrong, educate them. And that's what I love to do. And when I was a groomer, I love to be like, these are mixing bottles. 
if you're just squirting shampoo on your dog in the bathtub and rubbing it in, it's not working right. Like this is a mixing bottle. Can you get a mixing bottle? Can you dilute the shampoo? Did you even know you should dilute shampoo? Um, just one, one example, but there's a lot of stuff where I would talk to them about things they could do even just to help grooming be easier. Like in the program, they learn behaviors that are going to help their dog consent to grooming with time. But at the, in the meantime, what do they do? And we talk about management strategies. We talk about other things that the dog can participate in that can help with their grooming. That's not triggering. Um, so really just to answer your question that the, the guardian can do more. And I think it would really benefit them and their dog if they knew what that was like. I think those are definitely some very important points. And, you know, all we ever want to do is make our dogs feel better about situations at the groomers, as well as at training, as well as even just at home. So I think you touched on some really important things there. And I, I appreciate that um, not everybody is going to recognize um, how to appropriately do things at home or whatever the case may be. So that's great. Um, but that kind of makes me wonder as well. There's a lot of myths around dog grooming and what is good and what isn't good. What, what would you say is your least favorite myth? when it comes to dog grooming and how do you kind of, what, what makes you think about those myths as well? That always kind of gets me very curious because there are tons of myths around dog training. So I know they come up all the time organically, but in dog grooming that, that may not always be the case. There's like one myth. <laughs> There's one myth and I definitely, I want to share it, but I kind of want to touch on what you just said um, about, you know, the, the groomers having that issue. And I think that it's important to remember that, <sighs> Grooming, grooming salons and this, the tip, the question you asked earlier, Renee, about typical grooming salons, grooming salons are not regulated in the way that, that I think people assume that they are just like in the dog training industry, there's, there's little regulation, but when you go to your hairdresser or your nail salon for people, they, they have to go to school. They have to meet criteria. They have to have credentials. They have to have business inspections and everything to be open and to give you services, but in grooming, that's not required. So you can have a lot of, of issues there, but as far as myths, really one myth sticks out to me. There's, there's some that I could talk on, but one myth that I will always, always talk about is that they'll get used to it. And I hear this all the time. I have heard this from way before I was a trainer. Cause I was, I was a trainer first. I trained for a while. I got roped into doing grooming because, oh, you'll never make money as a trainer, but I take my dog to the groomer every six weeks and they make money. They must make money because I pay them X amount of money. Okay. Okay. I get it. <laughs> so I got roped into grooming. I wanted to be a groomer and I realized I've got to combine my two, my two passions, grooming and training. But one myth is that they'll get used to it. I've heard this forever. I heard this from vets. I've heard this from family. I've heard this from friends. I've heard this from groomers. They'll get used to it. The biggest problem with that, that phrase is that no one knows what that looks like. No one knows what that means. And my opinion of they'll get used to it. And your opinion of they'll get used to it could be two completely different things. So when people say they'll get used to it, I'm like, that's not happening at all. I think that what you're seeing is that they shut down. They they understand that there's no escape from this. There's learned helplessness happening or that they, it requires more and more interventions to get it done. And what we, I think that if we talked about it, if we actually asked 
you know, well, well, when you say they get used to it, what do you mean by that? Like, if we actually opened this up and talked to whoever said that, or even service providers, like if we talked about it, I think what we want to see and what we want that to mean to us is that they're here because they want to be, they're enjoying it. It's reinforcing and they want more, right? Like that, I think when we talk about that, that's my opinion anyway, that's my perception on what they'll get used to. It means that's not actually happening at all. Like when dogs are getting still or being calm, not moving, we talked about the shutdown and learned helplessness a little bit already. I think that's what's happening. And there's a big misconception on the guardian side. They think that this is how it should be, or they think that this is better. And uh, from the service provider side, groomers or, or vet techs doing nail trims or, or ear cleaning, it's working for them because like they can get the job done. But that's my biggest myth that I really want to dispel is they're not getting used to it. We have to do, there's more we can do. We can actually see that they, they want this with start buttons. Yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I'm sure, you know, Cassie can agree with me that that's something that we also hear in the, you know, training and behavior world is that dogs will just get used to it. And we know <laughs> that that, that isn't true. You, you might be doing some, some real damage there by allowing that situation or, you know, pushing that situation of your dog to just get used to it. So I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised, <laughs> but I am glad that you have also encountered that and you feel the same way that it's, it's something that we need to get out of that narrative of just saying, you know, oh, I'll just deal with it. The more I expose my dog to it, the, the more that they will get used to it and it'll be fine. We need to just see our dogs in the moment of what they are experiencing and validate those emotions and be able to help them through it rather than just waiting for almost like the ticking clock of they're just going to get used to it someday soon. And we just need to wait it out with them. Yeah. I mean, Tara, you, I, I love this episode. It's just been so um, full of just so many different gems and you've given so much great information. Um, can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, I would love to. I want to tell one more small myth if that's okay. <laughs> Of course, of course. I'm looking looking at my Husky and I I was just reminded that, um, of course, we hear that in the training world too, that my dog's too old. So a definite other myth for me is that my dog's too old to change their ways. And when my Husky started kicking out of my hand or um, sidestepping away from her nail trims, I knew it was because of some pain and she was, she was just over it. So one other myth is that they're too old to learn. And so I immediately switched and went, let's learn a lay on side. She lays on side. She's so comfortable and she is not in any like discomfort or ache in her joints. So she just lets me shave her paw pads and do her nails and she's 12. So if, if, if you have an older dog, that is, that's something they can learn. And if you want to learn more about what I do and where I'm at or more about the fearless grooming program, go to Instagram and look for Zen dog period fearless grooming. So it looks like Zen dog dot fearless grooming. And you can check out my Instagram and I have posts and lives and I have some reels and my highlights are full of some success stories and wins from guardians in the program. 
Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, jumped on with that last little myth, because again, that is something that we encounter as well in the training and behavior world as you know, <laughs> I just had a question today, you know, my dog is, I think, I think it was eight. Uh, is my dog, you know, too old? Uh, no, like, you know, I've <laughs> absolutely not, you know, what's the adage, like old dogs know, can learn new tricks. Absolutely. So, and especially as our dogs get older, being aware of maybe some of those aches, pains, helping the older dog feel good about being groomed, even just brushing. Is it uncomfortable? Are there any tender spots? But it also allows you to put your hands on your dog and feel for things like lumps and bumps or all of those things that sometimes we miss. So yeah, really, really happy that you've mentioned that too. Um, and I think I speak for Cassie as well. When I say it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast and thank you so much for joining us and giving all of these fantastic tips and tricks and busting myths. So thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you so much, Tara. That was even eye-opening for me as well. Cause here I am thinking the biggest mist would be hypoallergenic hair. So that, <laughs> that is so wonderful. Thank you so much for um, all of your time and all of your expertise on this subject for sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I could talk about so much cooperative care, cooperative grooming, um, the Fearless Grooming Program is still open for enrollment. And if you're interested in just knowing more about it, check out the Instagram, read some posts, watch some lives, you know, get a feel for if this sounds interesting to you and shoot me a DM and we'll talk more about your dog. Thank you again for making your appearance on the Dog Logical Podcast. Hi there, Renee here. Just a quick and gentle reminder that this podcast, along with all social media advice, does not take the place of working with a qualified ethical professional. If you are encountering behavior concerns with your dog, getting in touch with a professional sooner rather than later can save you a lot of time, energy, and money. Not only that, but it can also save both you and your dog a whole load of stress. Getting expert, qualified advice early on means you spend less time trying different things and confusing yourself. If you are looking for someone to work with, I offer virtual consultations and work with clients worldwide. You can find all of my services on my website, rplusdogs.com. After all, mental health matters for dogs too.